Hello, all you bookworms, and welcome to Oh, for the Love of Books, the show that gives you a bit of narration from the books I read, or ones you suggest for me to read on my show. I'm your host, Jessica Vickery, and thank you for joining me on this journey. Here's a short recap of what we know about Ghost Detective by Scott William Carter. Myron is a detective who does work for the living and the dead. He is married to a woman named Billy, who is dead. Karen Thorne, who is a ghost, has come to him for help to find her husband, who may or may not have killed her. Myron has booked two tickets to Hawaii, but he's not going now because he's going to help Karen. Karen is the granddaughter of a prominent businessman who owned Thorne Pharmaceuticals, but his past and the company was split between all the descendants. Myron asked to see a picture of Karen's husband, and it turns out it was the person who shot him. Myron was a cop before he was shot. He had a partner, Alicia, who was also his best friend, and he has a love of coffee, which proved to be deadly. Billy seems to be an angry, surly, unhappy person and doesn't want Myron to take the case. But why? Is it because of what he went through? The struggles he endured to come back to a more livable existence? Let's see what the next chapter has in store for us. Chapter 4 The darkness could have lasted a second, or a day, or a year. It was all the same to me. An endless stretch of nothingness and no feeling, and best of all, no pain. If time passed between when the bullet penetrated my brain and when I first groped towards consciousness, I didn't know it. The first things I remembered later were the voices. Lots of voices. Men, women, children. They were coming and going, some whispering, some shouting. Me catching only fragment here or a few words there, fading before my rattled brain could try to make sense of it all. The voices were all mixed together anyway, like a hundred records playing at once, each set at a different volume and a different speed. After that, there was the pain, an excruciating, blinding, hot pain in the middle of my head. It felt as if a recently forged sword was embedded in the middle of my skull. It was really the pain more than the voices that brought me fully back. The pain pulsed and throbbed and hammered and pounded, a ceaseless drumbeat of agony that pulled me out of the depths of my darkness, one ache at a time. When I finally managed to open my eyes, blinking through the gray mark that clouded my vision. The first thing I saw was a priest standing at the edge of my bed. A lanky old man with a full head of wavy white hair that gleamed like fresh snow in the light slanting through the blinds to my right. There were no voices, the silence broken by the steady beeping of a heart monitor. My head, pulsing still, felt as if it were encased in concrete. I would have touched it, but I was so weak that even the thought of lifting my hand was exhausting. 
It'll be all right, son, the priest said. The obscenely large gold cross hanging around his neck glinted in the sunlight. Without turning my head, sliding my gaze left to right, I scanned the room. Plain taupe walls, an IV drip, metal sidebars on the bed. Even this little movement brought on a spell of dizziness. Nobody else was in the room but me and the priest. I'm not Catholic, I said. He smiled kindly. His teeth yellowed as a smoker's would be. It doesn't matter, he said. I don't even believe in God. Lucky for you, that doesn't seem to bother him. His voice was Charlton Heston deep, but just as warm as a smile. A knowing smile. As if he knew a secret about me, but he wasn't saying. Before I could ask what the secret might be, the door burst open and a bevy of medical professionals swept into the room. A rotund doctor with more hair on his mustache than on the top of his head, and that wasn't saying much. An equally rotund nurse with far too much hair. A huge mound of platinum blonde that put all other bobs in the long history of bobs to shame plus two beefy male orderlies who looked like they worked nights as strongmen at the circus. They made quite a fuss over me, checking my vitals, tending to my head bandages, asking me if I knew who I was, the name of the president, that sort of thing. At least a full minute of breathless excitement before they seemed convinced that I was truly awake and stable. It's a miracle, the nurse said. That's what I was telling him, the priest said. He stood behind them, hands behind his back, beaming. Of course, there'll have to be lots of tests, the doctor said. A battery of tests. Physical, mental, a whole workup. Um, doctor, I said. How long have I been unconscious? The doctor and the nurse exchanged a glance. Doctor, I said. He swallowed. Perhaps we should have the hospital psychiatrist on hand? Doctor, just tell me. It could be upsetting. I'm getting upset now. Six months. Six months? He nodded glumly. I tried to process the number and couldn't. When I woke up, I figured it might have been six days. If he had said six weeks... It would have been shocking, but I probably would have dealt with it. But six months? The pounding in my head became more pronounced. A brain-rattling thrumming, as if my brain was trying to shake loose my skull. Instinctively, I tried to rub my forehead and found only bandages. The light slanting through the blinds suddenly seemed too bright though the brightness made more sense now that I knew we were no longer in winter. It almost never shone like that in Portland in winter. So you're saying it's, what, August? I asked. August 12th, to be exact. Jesus! It'll be all right, son, the priest said. We must... Focus on the positive. 
the doctor said. This truly is a miracle. The first miracle was your survival of the shot itself. It was one in a million. The bullet traveling perfectly down the fissure between the two hemispheres without any significant damage to either one. He reached as if to point out the place, then pulled his hand back hastily, as if he thought it might be in poor taste. All the more tests will have to determine the extent of the impairment to your neurological abilities. There's a good chance there won't be much. It's not a split-brain situation. No damage to the corpus callosum. And the second miracle was you waking up from such a long coma. As much as television would have us believe otherwise, it's quite rare. Slow down a minute, Doc. I said. You're saying there's a bullet still in my head? I'm afraid so. However, there's a bullet in my head? It was too risky to remove when you first came in, I'm afraid. And your body seems oddly ambivalent about it, not rejecting it as a foreign presence at all. In fact, we had far greater trouble with some of the more superficial parts of your wound. Which is why you are wearing those bandages again. We did a few skin grafts two weeks ago to your forehead. That seems to have gone well. However, you should be able to get those off within a few days. Well, that's a relief. I said it with a smile. Or what at least felt like a smile. But everybody's response was to look at me with sympathy. Annoyed, I decided it was time I talked to somebody who knew me before I was a medical marvel. Where's Billy, anyway? Somebody call her yet and tell her I'm awake? The nurse touched her great bob of blonde hair. The doctor scratched his mustache. Where's Billy? I demanded. Just remember, son, the priest said from his place at the back of the room. Everything will be all right. Will you stop saying that? I shouted at him. The nurse looked perplexed. Stop saying what? Huh? I said. What do you want us to stop saying? I was talking to the priest. The nurse and the doctor looked at each other with concern. What priest? The doctor said. What do you mean, what priest? The priest standing right over there. I pointed at the priest. He smiled his kindly smile and tipped his head. The doctor and the nurse followed my gesture, stared for a few seconds, then exchanged that very concerned look again, which was even more annoying the second time. What? I said. Come on, you're really telling me you don't see him? Maybe we should call that psychiatrist after all, the doctor said. Jesus! The priest chuckled. For a man who doesn't believe in God, you certainly invoke his name a great deal. There he goes again, I said, pointing. He just made a joke. The priest made a joke? The nurse said. I would have slapped my forehead if it wouldn't have resulted in serious injury. Will somebody please tell me where my wife is? She's gone, the priest said his expression turning grave. Gone, I said. 
What do you mean she's gone? The nurse jumped. I didn't. I mean, I haven't said. Will you shut up? I yelled at her and then refocused on the priest. Because at least he seemed to have an answer to my question. And getting the answer to that question was a lot more important than why everybody in the room was playing freeze out the old man. What do you mean she's gone? Gone where? I can't say more right now, the priest said. When will she be back? Then a sinking dread came over me. Did something happen to her? She'll explain everything in her own time, son. Explain what? Give me some answers here. The priest sighed. The doctor, saying he'd be back with some of his associates in a moment, got up and bustled past the priest without a glance in his direction. The nurse muttered something about fetching doctor so-and-so and left as well. She looked as if she wanted to cry. Even the orderlies standing at the door like two bouncers at a bar drifted out, closing the door quietly behind them, leaving just me and the priest. Except for the beeping and whirling of my machines and the faint hum of the air conditioner, the room was still. Father, I said, please. I know you want answers, he said. I'm sorry I can't give them to you right now. I just wanted to be here when you woke up to tell you that everything will be all right. You're going to see some strange things now, Myron and there's no way I can make it easy for you. I'm afraid you'll have to get through it on your own. It's the only way your mind will accept it. Accept what? Rather than answer, he bowed his snowy white head and turned to the door. I pleaded with him not to leave, but he kept on walking. In fact, he kept on walking right through the door passing through it instead of opening it. Poor Myron. He must be thinking he's really losing it for sure. Being in the hospital, coming out of a coma after six months, not knowing what's going on or where his wife is and why she's not there. Not knowing that you're talking to ghosts and everyone's thinking you're having a mental breakdown or some form of a mental episode. A bullet lodged in your brain that can't be removed? Asking questions no one wants to answer? Poor guy. Well, let's see if it gets better for him next week in Chapter 5. Well, that concludes my episode for today. I want to thank you all for taking the time to listen to me talk. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you like my podcast please subscribe to my show or send me an email to justvicvoice at outlook.com. That's J-E-S-S-V-I-C-V-O-I-C-E at outlook.com with suggestions of books for me to read on the show. Thank you again and please join me next week on Oh for the Love of Books. And as always, dream big and keep reading.